Good morning, church. My name's Tim. I'm a pastor here at this church, and I am excited to bring God's word to you as Mike read. Uh, but I do want to give you a bit of a disclaimer. You're going to want to unsubscribe today because part of this text is going to speak to probably something every single one of us who calls on the name of the Lord has to deal with. And so if you leave this place going, that didn't apply to me, you're wrong. Okay? And so I know it applied to me. I know it affected me as I wrote this. And to be 100% transparent, I don't even want to preach this, but it's true. And so we're going to walk through that. I would encourage you not to unsubscribe. I'd encourage you not to go to the bathroom if you can handle that for 30 minutes. And I would also encourage you, if you're watching online or you're listening to the podcast, as soon as you want to turn it off, don't, because this is important. We are continuing our series in 1 John. Last week, we tackled what I would consider a recap of much of what we attempt to communicate every single week here at Church of the Valley as we preach the truth of the gospel through the word of God. And so I'm going to give you a few points that were in last week's message, but if you haven't heard it, if you weren't here, I'm still going to encourage you to go listen to it, but I'm going to give you a few points, and if you're one of those people that are like, Tim, you talk too fast, I can't write down what you're saying, they're going to be on the board. Here are some takeaways, if you will, from last week. We are not saved by what we do. We are saved by whose we are. We are saved by grace, through faith, in Christ. The gospel is not about you. It's about Jesus. Jesus did what we were unable and unwilling to do, which was be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect. Our spiritual growth is a byproduct of loving and abiding in Jesus rather than trying really hard with spiritual activity. And as Emma Serrato reminded us, you know why that tree branch could not bear any fruit? Because it's dead. And we get to be a people that are abiding in the vine who is Jesus and we are the branches and God produces fruit through us. Now, this week... We're going to tackle what John calls an old commandment, yet for some of us, we ignore or turn off our listening ears to what we are going to unpack today. So I'd recommend we lean in, because what we're going to talk about may just be exactly what God wants to change in us and transform us more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you a bit of a story of this past week for me. Thursday evening was a nice and relaxed evening in the Riley household. Aaron made pizza for everyone. Lorelai was at work. She works across the street at Valley Village. So does Reagan, my oldest. But she wasn't working. And Reagan and Evie in Boston were at home doing their own thing. And I was watching the Detroit Lions decimate the Aaron Rodgers-less Packers. Just saying. <laughs> sorry. 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 And Finley was watching either Peppa Pig or Bluey, or Gabby's dollhouse in our room on our bed. Now, while I thought we were winding down because the evening was getting a little bit late, my party animal of a two and a half year old decided to fall off our bed and she hit her head on my nightstand, which created a bit of a gash in her head. She's fine. So Evie, Finley, and I took a drive to the ER down the street, not gonna mention Kaiser, but Kaiser, because it was a little messy And just to be safe, we wanted a medical professional to take a look at her head. Now, the long story short was that the ER had us waiting up to six hours. Didn't mention it was Kaiser. So after about two, 
I texted a dear friend in this community who is a medical professional and asked what I should do. And they said they could clean it and glue the gash, which I was very grateful for. So we took a drive to their house. I'm not going to tell you who it was because I don't want you all lining up to call this person when your kid gets hurt. (sighs) Finley took the cleaning and gluing, even though it stung like a champ. And while she'll probably have a little bit of a scar on the left side of her head, it has been just another exciting moment in our fifth child's growth process. Now, here is why I share that story. I don't need your sympathy. It was totally fine. Because for two hours, I was in the ER waiting to be seen while my daughter bled a little on the furniture of the waiting room, and never have I ever been more aware of how much I judge people (laughs) than when someone would come into that waiting room, check in, and be seen immediately while about 50 of us waited for hours on end. I wasn't upset. I was a little tired, but I felt myself wondering what was wrong with each person as they came into the emergency room and which was more important or more of an emergency than my adorable two-year-old daughter shading her blonde hair with her natural red hair dye of blood. The fact is, I don't know what each person had. Ironically, they didn't have to tell me what their ailment was. But most people who came in after us were seen before us. And my judgment was that I judge people without having the proper understanding of the situation. God, on the other hand, knows exactly what ails every person. And and bases our judgment, each one of ours, every person who has a pulse in this room, judges our judgment on our inability to be perfect, which none of us are, except God alone. Yet, in the Son, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus is perfect for us. He not only was perfect, he offers this perfect life to us and the record of his perfect life to us if we would just believe and be found in him rather than in our messed upness, unloving and judgmental record that every single one of us have. So today, we will continue 1 John and see how while we are not perfect, Jesus' perfection is offered to us, not just in our salvation, but in an opportunity to love others because he first loved us. So let's jump into this text. Please lean in. 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. I don't know about you, but in my pride, I think I understand so much of the Christian faith, and when something sounds basic or elementary, I tend to overlook it or look past it. I don't mean to do this, but it reminds me that I am still being pruned of pride, even in my knowledge of the Son. So when John says an old commandment, which I believe he's going to point, or he is pointing to the great commandment. Now, you guys know the great commandment, but did you know it's not just a New Testament idea? It's an Old Testament idea. In fact, Moses, being uh, guided by the Holy Spirit, says it this way in Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 6. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. This command was one that any Jewish person had heard all of their lives, and it was consistent in both the Old Testament, and guess what? In the New Testament as well. And Jesus was being quizzed by the Pharisees in Matthew 18, and the teachers of the law, and their attempt was to trap Jesus, Matthew 22, now that I think about it. They were attempting to trap Jesus. They were trying to get Jesus to say that he was better than Moses. Now, let's be real clear. Jesus is way better than Moses, for the record. So they gather around Jesus, and they ask him about the great commandment. Here's what it says, Matthew 22. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law. Aw, crazy. Imagine this group of Pharisees thinking they have trapped Jesus. Imagine for a second that you've got Jesus, God incarnate, sitting there, and you come up to him and you're like, I'm going to stump the master of the universe. And so they try to trap him to get Jesus to defame Moses. So what does he say? Does Jesus say anything to make himself more important than the prophet that had superseded what God had already said through Moses? No. What does he do? He quotes Moses. Here's what he says in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So no problem here. Jesus isn't stumped. And the truth of the greatest commandment is consistent. But Jesus is going to give the world the best, and let's be really honest, hardest application any of us have ever been given. Here's what he says. And the second commandment, or the second, is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So God doesn't say the second commandment is secondary, or next in importance, he says, it's like the first one. And I'd contend it means the way the first one is made complete. You really can't love God without loving others. But don't take that to mean that loving others happens without Jesus. Love God by loving others. I truly only value others above myself when I look to Jesus and how he said and how he specifically laid down his life for me and for others. Because unless I value people based on God and the way he lavishes grace and love upon them, I will only look at people based on their merit and their ability to benefit me somehow. Or discount them when they disappoint me. So John saying that he does not have a new command, but an old one also could be referring to what we have already been studying as John has pointed out that love for God is not an ooey-gooey feeling, but it is obedience out of love. Last week it was said, we obey out of love. When we obey out of love, we understand that God loved us before we obeyed in the first place which I think is going to be the ongoing reminder that we not only need to be told all the time, but we need to focus on regarding our motivation to why we obey in the first place. Verse 8, 1 John 2. Yet I am writing you a new command, he says. 
Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. So what is it that believers in Jesus have heard since the beginning and need to be reminded of constantly? What Jesus said to his disciples in John 13 after washing their feet. Here's what he says. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. <laughs> love one another like Jesus has loved you. No problem, right? Kind of easy. But Jesus gives this command to his disciples, and hear me, because he knows they are able to do this. Not out of strong wills, or because they're really good at obedience. They suck at obedience, if we're honest. But because they have been indwelled with the same spirit that gave the power to raise Jesus from the dead. And the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, of the triune God, takes residence in each and every single one of you who by faith have received God's grace. John 14, 15 through 17, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because he neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So you see, loving others is not something that God expects you to do on your own. He indwells. He equips, he empowers each of his followers to be able to do this through his power, the same power that he promised before he ascended to heaven. You guys know this verse. We did an entire series on this verse, Acts 1, chapter 8. But you will receive power. Say power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. What does a witness do? Testify in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I only do that because it's a little warm in here, and people tend to fall asleep about eight minutes into my sermon. So like we alluded to last week in the text, when something impossible seems to be asked of you in scriptures, hear me, when something impossible gets asked of you in the scriptures, look at Jesus, not yourself. And remember that God did not leave you to your own abilities to accomplish such things. And what result does loving others have? What does loving one another, what does loving other believers show? John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So I'm big on evangelism, big on testifying that Jesus rose from the dead, that he is alive, that he uh, is the only way in which someone can come to God and have a right relationship with God. But this, what we're talking about, loving one another, is part of your evangelism. Your evangelism isn't just proclaiming out loud that Jesus lived, that he died, that he rose again, that he rules and reigns over the kingdom of God, and anyone who would believe in him would be saved. Part of our evangelism is to love one another. Other believers who do not share the same spiritual traditions that we have, but share the same God, the same gospel, the same indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And by that, people will see that we believers, we church, we're different. We're weird. 
we have a greater love than the one that is effectively transactional or impotent. We have a love that is supernatural because it comes from God and we love God by loving others as he commanded. 1 John chapter 2, verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light and hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. And John now takes us back to this contrast of light and darkness, which we began in chapter 1, reiterating that those who hate other believers, they're actually walking around in darkness, blinded by their rage and anger and malice and hatred, rather than walking in the light, is which is, which is what God is and what he provides. But John implies something much stronger, much harsher here than just you've taken a detour into the darkness. Someone who claims to be in the light, in Christ, a believer, who hates other believers, who too have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, they who hate are not only predominantly in sinful behavior, but are yet to actually understand and grasp the light in the first place. So what do you do with that, church? Because if you're anything like, th- like me, what I just said, this could absolutely send me towards questioning my own salvation because I struggle with other believers all the time. But there are a few layers to this that I think we all must consider, and I hope you'll hear this because I'm not going to just leave you, hey, if you hate people, you're not saved. No, no, no. We got we to listen to this. First, what is hate? Well, that can be twofold. The way I tend to exercise hate, I'm just going to be really open and honest with you, and, and unfortunately this line I almost have to repent of every single day. The way I tend to exercise hate is through apathy. I don't care or think about or acknowledge their existence, someone who's hurt me, someone who's bothered me. They become dead to me because I just erased them from my mind. Delete. I don't pray for them or include them in my thoughts ever. And it can, or, so that's mine, and maybe that's some of you, but there's this other one that's a little more obvious. It's this rancid hostility that you have towards someone, where you want them to experience pain. You want them to experience what they deserve. Another believer. Essentially, you're hoping hell upon them. And none of us would ever say this, but let's just be real. You want death to be what they experience because they hurt you. And you effectively are breaking one of the Ten Commandments of the law when God told Moses, who told the Israelites this in Exodus 20. I'm going to do 13 and 14. He says, you shall not murder and you shall not commit adultery. Now, it would be really easy for any of us, I'm assuming, to say that we haven't murdered. I mean, do we need to take a poll? If you've killed someone, please stay. No, don't. You'll think, I haven't pulled the trigger, but look how Jesus points to the heart in the New Testament regarding the commandments. He says in Matthew 5, 27, 28, you have heard what it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, it doesn't just have to be a woman, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And you may argue that Jesus said this about adultery, not murder, but I think the biblical interpretation is literally the exact same. So don't think you're good because you've never cheated 
or murdered or stolen anything. You have lust in your hearts. You have hate internally. You want what others have. And here we are. This is a bunch of bad news, but I'm going to give you some good news. There's some really good news. Here we are, messed up people who are thrown a lifeline in Jesus Christ and his finished work. Guys, I don't think this is a big surprise. If you spend any time reading the Bible or any time around our preaching, we and the word make it abundantly clear that we are in need. We have a spiritual deficit. We sin, and God gives grace. But the person who understands grace is the person who wants to put their sin to death because it was their sin that Jesus died to forgive. So don't hate your sisters and brothers in the faith could be all that you hear. Just don't do it. Stop it. Because based on the kingdom's economy, murder in our hearts is what hate is. But I really want us to look at what John is saying. Those who are in the light don't have to hate your brothers and sisters in the faith. No matter what they have done. No matter how they have acted. Because the Holy Spirit who resides in the redeemed can and does make a way for us to love rather than hate. To give grace rather than want death for them. Side note. Forgiveness doesn't mean we attempt to act as if it never happened. People, even brothers and sisters in the faith, fail us. And so we have to live with that. Forgiveness means more about not continuing to allow that action or that disappointment to become how we view them. Their identity in Christ is who they are. But that doesn't mean we have to pretend like it didn't hurt us or that things will ever actually be exactly the same before it happened. Now, some of, or probably all of, my closest relationships have grown through disappointment and failing one another. That's just how it works. Do you know how much Mike and I fight? Oh, happy birthday, by the way. It's his birthday. I'm sure we'll get upset with one another later today. Good God, do I love that man. And that's just how it works. Now, I've done a lot of premarital counseling, done premarital counseling for many of you. And I asked the couple, always, hey, how do you guys fight? Like, boxing glove? No, no, no. Like, how, how do the arguments go? And if they say they don't fight, I tend to see that as a red flag, church. Because the fact is, our relationships show what they are made of once the chocolate emoji hits the fan. That's for you younger brethren. And you older brethren, the poopoos. So let me say it this way. If you have a believer in your life that you hate and you can't seem to forgive them, don't use the term, I cannot forgive them. That believer is discounting and ignoring and honestly grieving the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit resides in you, if the third person of the Trinity, the same who gave the power to raise Jesus from the dead, if he resides in you, you literally can forgive anyone who has wronged you, not because they are deserving, but because you understand the grace you've received. 
Look at how Jesus puts it. When Peter wants to know what the loophole is for forgiveness, this is adorable. Peter's adorable, all right? Here's what he says. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who has sinned against me? Up to seven? Is that good, Lord? Seven? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. <laughs> Dang. Then he explains this parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began a settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Let's just, just make that 10,000 bucks. It doesn't really matter. A lot. Some of you were like, 10 grand, no problem. Shh. Should be giving more then. I'm just saying. Since he was not a sorry, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity upon him, canceled the debt, and let him go. What? What? But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Gold's more precious than silver in this context. He grabbed him and began to choke him out like Ray Lewis. Payback is what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Verse 30, but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. That's kind of harsh. I know how this sounds. I picked this passage. And how we, if we just heard that, we want to discount God for these harsh and abrupt words. I get how perhaps some of us that are less mature in the faith or misunderstand grace is not something that we can earn. Or we may hear this parable as something that, you know, God's just mean. But it is, being, it is making known that someone who cannot forgive cannot understand the grace that God has offered them. And what is needed for us to both forgive and understand grace? You guessed it, the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. In order to meet the standard that God has. Hear me. In order to meet the standard that God has. All right, I hope that's the picture on the YouTube, okay? In order to meet the standard that God has, we must have God in us. By grace through faith in Christ. And we do not attain this. We receive this. It is a gift of grace, not a reward for good behavior. So believers, let me make it simpler. We forgive because he first forgave us. But we also can only forgive if we focus not on the other person. 
or what they've done, but we focus on the Christ who brought us into fellowship with God. In Christ, you forgive. And it's not just that you can. It's not just that you do. But forgiveness is a byproduct of truly understanding your forgiveness by God is that forgiveness is a characteristic of how you treat others. But there's one other thing that I want us to unpack when it comes to not hating our brother and sister and forgiveness towards them. A brother and sister can be subjective. As many claim to be in Christ, and yet, let's read Jesus' words, not mine, so you don't get as mad at me. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Did we not get to church early? Did we not watch the podcast? Did we not give some money? Did we not go to all the events the church had? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. I can be, I guess this is Confession Sunday, at least for the pastor, I can be incredibly critical and cynical when it comes to people who claim Christ and are even excited about him and yet fall away, or really only use his name when it's convenient to them, or they can leverage him for their own personal gain. And Jesus points out that many will come in his name and not know him at all. And many of the New Testament letters are critical of false teachers. And while I don't want to be identified as a church, I don't want to be identified about by what we're against. We are against false teaching. And any teaching that lowers Jesus' supremacy and makes the, go- the gospel about prosperity in this life or makes the gospel about getting along with everyone, or makes the gospel about a bunch of rules that we attempt to keep. All of that is darkness in comparison to the light of the gospel, which is the person and work of Jesus Christ. But other redeemed people, we got to love them because Christ loved us. And just because someone acts the fool (laughs) doesn't mean that God didn't couldn't, and maybe even hasn't already saved that person. Listen, you don't love brothers and sisters in Christ because they have not failed you. You love them because Jesus loves them, redeemed them, and like you, find their identity not in their effort, but in Christ's finished work on their behalf. And you, church, if you have confessed Jesus' name, if you believe unto the Son, you are God's child. And this person that you're struggling to forgive are God's child. And honestly, I'm a parent of five, y'all. Nothing upsets me more than hearing my children fight and argue and attempt to bully one another. And I got to assume that God in his grace and wisdom and his will wants his children to be for one another, loving one another and laying their lives down for one another. So you remember at the beginning how I told you like, hey, you're going to want to unsubscribe. You're going to want to get up and leave the room and this is going to bother you. Well, it just gets harder. You ready? So how do you know if someone actually is a brother or sister in the faith? Do we take their word for it? Do we assume they are because they're on some church membership role? 
Do they know all the lyrics to DC Talk's greatest hits? Listen, I'm going to quote my dear friend and sister in the faith, Barbara Simmons. I am not one to judge, but I do observe. <laughs> this is what she said in staff meeting when we were talking about how people act the fool. Literally, it's one of my favorite one-liners ever. And it was so good coming out of my dear sister Barbara's mouth. And the reality is the way people behave, if we like it or not, tends to show what they believe. And when we truly believe the gospel, our actions, while not perfect, please don't think you're going to be perfect because you believe unto Jesus. They do progressively become more Christ-like over time and are a marker of our spiritual growth. But for many, their believing the gospel, the good news, and the good work of Jesus on behalf of sinners tends to have a few different results. So look at how Jesus puts it in the parable of the sower. You guys know this, but I'm going to show you something. Mark 4, verse 3. Listen, Jesus says, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil, and it came up and grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. So often we read Jesus' parables and you have to read context and you have to read other authors. Uh, uh, if, if Mark says it, you have to read it, kind of what Luke adds into it to kind of get the meaning of what was being said. Jesus exegetes this very parable. Jesus is the Bible commentator in this moment. He says this to his disciples because they didn't understand. He says, the farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others like seed sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in, and they choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times of what was sown. If you claim Christ, if you say, yes, I'm a believer, I know Jesus, I love Jesus, there is like what we talked about last week, there is evidence in one's life of spiritual growth, of fruit that is produced, and a gradual change that makes them less like the old man that every single one of us drag around, and more like the Savior in whom we are following. But if you hear what I just said in your mind, and it probably does, go to, oh, so I have to prove my spiritual fruit. You have completely missed the point. Spiritual fruit, hear me, this spiritual fruit is seen over a long period of time in relationship. 
So if you're a castaway Christian, if you're hearing this podcast or watching this video and you just don't engage with other Christians, as Bob Newhart said, stop it! Because spiritual growth is seen over time and in relationship. But back to our heart condition. Hate is murder in your heart, which you do not have to do if you've understood the gospel and been indwelled by the Spirit of God. Forgiveness is possible because of the forgiveness you've been given in the cross. And a true brother or sister in Christ do actually follow Jesus and produce the fruit of the Spirit in growing spiritually, not just in information. Hey, I listened to this podcast. I know this new word in Hebrew. No, but in humility and character. But also, it takes quite a while, and it's not instantaneous. So our reactions to others in the faith should not be hate. It should not be indifference. According to John, what should it be? 1 John chapter 2, verse 10, anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing there to make them stumble. Our love for others out of love for Christ is our spiritual act of worship. And rather than just trying not to hate someone, we instead are called to love that is supernatural and not about us and not about the other person, but is about Christ and his ability to forgive us. Verse 11. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. (sighs) Last week, we quoted this interaction between Jesus and who was known as the rich young ruler who said that he had kept all the commands since he was a young boy. And Mark, the writer of the gospel, writes that Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, there's one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have and come follow me, Jesus says. Um, I love you enough to tell you this. For the rich young ruler... Standing between him and Jesus was his financial security, which had become his identity. And that's not every single person's problem. Jesus didn't say to the lame beggar to sell everything he had, not just because he didn't have much to sell, but because his identity was not in his wealth, no matter how big or small. Some of our go sell everything we have and follow Jesus isn't financial. It's emotional. The idea of forgiving someone is just something we are unwilling to do. It's not that you can't. It's that you don't want to. And when confronted with the truth of what stands between us and following Jesus, we, like the rich young ruler, may experience this. Mark chapter 10, verse 22. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Because perhaps you're unwilling to forgive and unwilling to love, you too will walk away sad. Not because you had great wealth that stood between you and an abundant relationship with Jesus, but because you had great pride and could not take the focus off of yourself and your hurt and place it upon Jesus and his grace. Friends, as John calls us, friends, There is a way. Friends, there is a truth. 
There is a life where you can love God by loving other believers, not in an ooey-gooey sense, but in a sacrificial way as Christ has loved you, you too can love one another. So today, you've made it. Today, I hope that you do not take away from this message, oh, I need to try really, really hard to forgive. No. Or you have to pretend you love others so Barbara and I will be fooled as we observe you. Don't try to impress others. But get real with God. And let go of the hold that your lack of forgiving has upon your soul. And walk in the light. Because Jesus is in the light. That's a DC talk lyric. Seriously. Each of us have an opportunity to grow. Possibly exponentially. Or as my Pentecostal brethren say, you have a chance to be unlocked. And our spiritual lives are being impeded by our lack of looking at the gospel of grace and by treating others in the faith like the world treats people who disappoint them. We stumble and use our finite view of fairness to think how we should be treated. I'm going to say something that's probably going to upset some of you, but you know why I started at the beginning, so why not do more? Let me say this in Emphatically, the gospel is not fair. The gospel is grace. And you don't want what you deserve. I don't want what I deserve. You want what Jesus deserves. So treat others how Jesus treated them. He sacrificed himself so a relationship with God would not be impeded. He sacrificed himself so others wouldn't stumble. And he sacrificed himself so a relationship with God was possible through faith in him. Worship team, come on up. I had a conversation with a dear friend this week who was struggling to forgive. Imagine that. And I was like, listen, I've already written most of my sermon. This was not about you. It just, you know, connects. And we talked and we read a piece of this passage and we prayed. And when we prayed, he didn't say, Lord, I, would you give me the strength to want to forgive this person who has hurt me? No. He said, Lord, I forgive this person who has hurt me. To be honest, I was a little surprised he got there that fast. But shame on me for not betting on the Holy Spirit to do the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do based on his word. Church, Confessing out loud that you forgive is more powerful than anyone would ever know unless you've done it. So listen, in a, uh, about once a month, we attempt to give people an opportunity in service to respond, to apply what the word has convicted them of, to be prayed over. And for some of us, perhaps we think we have forgiven someone, but we really haven't. We haven't actually ever verbalized it out loud we just think we've forgiven them or maybe we just wanted to forgive them but we haven't and we can't let it go and we're letting the hurt be what we find our identity in yet God says find your identity in my son find your worth in Jesus's work not your own 
Find your strength and peace in the truth of Jesus alone. So I want to invite you to be prayed over. So I'm going to do something. I'm going to invite the Millers, both Mike and Karen. Uh, you guys go in the back. I'm just kidding. You guys come up here. <laughs> you guys come up here. And uh, Fredericks, would you mind going in that back corner? Thank you. Hey, Zilkas, I know I keep doing this to you without talking to you about it. You up for it? Would you guys go in that back corner? And Dana, your bride is not here because she is faithfully serving our children today, so I'm going to invite you and Malik. <laughs> Malik, a dear friend and staff member. Daniel, a dear friend and elder. And we're going to play two songs. That's about 10 minutes, okay? That's about 10 minutes of musical worship. So I'd invite you to be prayed over one of these sets of people, one of these couples. <laughs> I want you to be prayed for or I want you to fill out a card and you if you don't want everyone to know your business on the prayer team or on the staff you could just say private if you prefer and I'll be the one who sees it or you can reach out to me or you can reach out to another leader but talk with us because I don't want any of us to be walking around stumbling in the darkness because we can't see Christ because we're too fo focused on holding on to our hate so I'm going to pray Laura's going to help me sound spiritual. I'm going to invite you to stand when I'm done praying. And if you feel convicted and you feel like any of these four sets of people are someone that you feel comfortable praying with, if you know them or not, have the opportunity to have them pray. Tell them what you need prayer for. Maybe pray with them yourself if you just need someone to help you along. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I, uh, I really wish I gave this text to Ruth. <laughs> but I'm grateful that uh, you convicted me of a ton. You convicted me of where I am cynical and I'm looking towards things, wanting to justify myself and not find my justification in you. And so as we worship in song, as we worship in prayer, God, I pray that this would be a sacred time and we wouldn't Look at the people who are getting up, judging them like an emergency room. But if we'd focus on you, we'd focus on the cross, we'd focus on the resurrection and the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. God, we just want to be not only saved by you, but we want to look more like your son. And I know for me, forgiveness has always been something that stood in the way. So God, I'm sorry. And I do ask as we worship in song, Lord, that others would be able to feel that breakthrough as well. To what's impeding us of trusting you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name.